This is episode 43 of the Travel Podcast. Welcome. On this episode, we're exploring the land of the rising sun, Japan. With its 6,500 islands and 30,000 kilometers of coastline, incredible culture and traditions. Our special guest guides us around this marvelous destination, sharing their top recommendations on where to visit, stay, their language tips, and experiences that you wouldn't find anywhere else in the world. I'm Matthew from the Travel Podcast team, and I'm also joined by Jules from the Travel Podcast team. And I'd like to introduce our special guest, Matt Spiller from Inside Japan Tours. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. And thanks for joining us, Matt. And um, for those listeners who may not know much about Japan, can you give us an overview of where Japan is located in the world? How can people get there? Is it expensive to visit? And is there much of a language barrier issue? Well, um, yeah, Japan is obviously in, in Asia. Um, it's, it's in the Far East um, on, on the Pacific um, Ocean, um, uh, right next to China and Korea. Um, so uh, getting there from the UK, um, it's usually about 12 hours on a, a direct flight. Um, so it's, it's, it's not too far. It's, 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 it's not the closest of places, but it's still in, in relation to other destinations in Asia. It's not the longest of flights to get to. Um, and yeah, it's the currency is the Japanese yen, um, and it's not that expensive. It's it's not the cheapest destination in Asia, certainly. Um, and when you've got the flights and the accommodation and the guiding and experiences and transport, that can add up to a fairly expensive trip. Um, but actually, when you're traveling there day to day on the ground, the actual costs aren't that expensive. Um, so a subway journey in Tokyo can cost one to two pounds. Um, um, sh- shrines are actually free to get into. Um, temples are usually only three to four pounds to get in. Um, you can go out and get a really decent lunch for a few pounds. You can get a really decent dinner for maybe nine, 10, 15 pounds. So the actual costs when you're there aren't that expensive. It's, it's everything you have to book in advance. That, that's where the costs add up. Um, but the great thing about Japan is there's zero tipping. There is absolutely no tipping in Japan. It's just not part of their culture um, and they don't expect it. Everyone does their job to the best of their abilities because they're proud to have a job. Um, so yeah, the tipping is not a thing in Japan. Amazing. And when you're there, is there much of a language barrier? Because obviously it's quite a different um, uh, language and maybe not, definitely not from the, if you're coming from the UK, one that you may have experienced before. Yeah. Um, so everyone in Japan does learn English at school, um, but um, it, 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 it's not widely spoken. It, it, they can understand it a fair bit, but it's not widely spoken, um, mainly because the Japanese people are very proud and they're they're scared to make mistakes. So they'd rather not make a mistake um, and maybe do a bit of sign language or or, or find a different way of communicating um, than than speaking English. But Japanese people are very friendly. They love their country um, and they're very proud of their country. So anyone visiting, they want you to love it as much as they do. So they will find ways of communicating. They're very welcoming. If they see you're lost, they'll probably grab you by the hand and walk you 10 minutes out of their way just to make sure you get to go where you want to go. And then rather than explaining it in English, which could be complicated. So um, yeah, there is a language barrier, but I I wouldn't say it's an issue. It's part of the 
fun of Japan. Um, and certainly with the Rugby World Cup last year and the Olympics next year, hopefully, um, the, the, the English levels on signs and in train stations, it's, it's, it's getting really, really good now. So um, it shouldn't be, shouldn't be a concern or a worry. Oh, well, thank you very much. And um, just to give everyone else a bit of a background about yourself. So what is your connection with Japan? So, yes, um, I lived in Japan for three years um, and basically didn't, didn't, didn't plan on going there initially. Um, I finished university and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I saw an advert for um, something called the JET program, um, which is a, a, a program run by the Japanese government getting a English-speaking um, students, uh, graduates, uh, into Japan and teaching in, in uh, schools over there. So I saw the advert, applied for it. Um, next thing I knew, I was living in a really rural town called Hagi, um, teaching English to elementary students and high school students. Um, was only meant to be there for one year and ended up there three years. Um, and then I moved back um, just over 11 years ago and wanted to keep a connection with, um, with Japan. So uh, I started working for Inside Japan Tours and I, I get to go back uh, regularly and uh, get to talk about Japan and promote it, um, which is a great job to have, really. I, I, just, I just love the destination. So I'm very lucky to be doing what I do. So uh, I've got a good friend who traveled the world uh, for a year uh, and Japan is one of his favorite destinations and it's, it's always been something about I find inspiring in the culture I really want to get out there and explore it um, I was hoping to go this year obviously we haven't been able to do that so I'm definitely looking at next year to try and get out but you, you mentioned that obviously you were living out in the rural the rural areas of Japan so can you tell a bit more about the area of where you lived some people may not have heard of it and uh, it's something that we always love to explore on the travel podcast is actually the things away from the major cities so people will know potentially about Tokyo but can you discuss a bit more about where you live? Yeah, so I, as I said, I, I lived in a, a little town called Hagi. Um, I knew absolutely nothing about it before I moved out there. Um, but it is a really, really beautiful town. Um, it's on the southwest tip of the main island in uh, Yamaguchi Prefecture. It's on the coast. It's got a beach. Um, and it, it, it used to be an old castle town. So um, it's got castle ruins. Um, and it's got old, beautiful um, streets with um, samurai houses and residences and you can still sort of use the old samurai maps to navigate your way around the old town um, so yeah it was it was a really special place um, and it's actually it's very famous for Japanese people but anyone outside of Japan will never have heard of it um, so uh, yeah it is it's basically where modern Japan comes from um, in the 19th century uh, Japan was still ruled by the um, the shogunate the military leaders um, and nobody was allowed to enter or leave Japan. All the ports were closed, um, apart from a few ports which did take, um, which were open to uh, international ships for, for imports and exports. But generally speaking, Japan was closed off to the rest of the world. Um, and from Hagi, there were five men that decided to um, smuggle themselves on an English ship um, pretended to be English sailors and they, they'd made a deal with the, the ship's captain um, and they sailed all the way back to London and studied at uh, UCL um, 
and learnt about modern Western life, basically. Um, and then they went back to Japan and were heavily involved in the Meiji Restoration, which is um, the movement to overthrow the military leaders and give power back to the emperor. Um, so these five men were involved in that and forming the new Japan. Um, so one became the first prime minister. Um, one of them was head of the National Mint. One of them was um, the father of the railways. So he, he brought trains to Japan and oversaw the train network being built. So modern Japan basically stemmed from this tiny little town, Hagi. Um, and not many people know about it. But um, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. And I love it there. Um, but yeah, the ironic thing is it was modern Japan came from this town, but it's still very, very traditional. It's one of the most traditional places in Japan. So uh, yeah, it, it, it brought about modern Japan, but it, it's still, still, still um, a quaint little town, basically. Well, you've already won me over to go and visit on my uh, my holiday next year. It's from the fact of the castle ruins and the samurai streets, and you've got the maps to navigate it. It's something that, I'm, that I love, the stories of the samurais and old Japan as well. One of my friends actually writes um, comic books and has a comic called Samurai Slasher. Um, <laughs> so I'm definitely going to tell him to check out uh, Haji on the map and maybe he can put it into one of his um, future comics. So it's, it's just, it's amazing. I think that is something that really intrigues me is the, the culture and the history of it. And like you mentioned that, that castle and how up until that era, it was shut off from the rest of the world. And it was, it was his own little um, nation within the world. And it's just, yeah, I find it very, very interesting. I really want to go out and explore uh, that side of it. So thank you for sharing a bit more about the rural. Are there other areas like that that people may not know about um, around Japan? Uh, the, the, the thing about Japan is that it is it is just a massive country. Um, it, there's so much to see and do. Um, so yeah, there's over six and a half thousand islands that make up Japan. It's got the same landmass as Germany, um, 30,000 kilometers of coastline. So there is lots to be seen and doing. And I lived there for three years. I go back regularly for work and I've still not seen and done everything I want to do in Japan. So there are always hidden gems that people will, 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 people are still discovering uh, for foreign tourists going to Japan. But yeah, um, my personal highlights that I really love um, is... uh, a beautiful island called Yakushima. Um, and if anybody's seen the Studio Ghibli film, uh, Princess Momonoke, um, it's it's based in that, that island with ancient forests. They've got massive cedar trees, which are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And it's just a very atmospheric, enchanting kind of place to, to explore. And they've got beaches with loggerhead turtles that lay their eggs. They've got um, hot spring baths in the rock pools and things like that. So Yakushima is a really rural place to go and explore. And that, that would be one of my recommendations. But there's, there's plenty more. You've got Kumano Kodo, which is ancient uh, pilgrimage routes that you hike from shrine to shrine through beautiful scenery and little villages and forward your luggage on in advance. So you arrived at your destination on foot. So there, there's, there's just literally so much to explore across the whole country. I could go on for days about hidden gems that, uh, that are out in the countryside. Oh, that's great. It's obviously been such an inspiration for a lot of films like you mentioned but I also like to delve into some TV programs before um, booking sort of my holidays or my travel plans because I think they give you some really good uh, tips. Have you seen any lately that are based around Japan that you might recommend? 
Yeah, well, um, like certainly over the last five, six years, they, we've been seeing Japan become really popular and it, lots of documentaries and TV shows being made. Um, and all of them are great. They all, all sort of promote Japan and uh, it's good for tourism in Japan. Um, but uh, I, I certainly think that uh, my favorite so far is, is the Joanna Lumley series that she did. Um, I feel as though she really understood Japan and saw a really wide range of things in Japan. She, she visited all the main islands and she went in different seasons and she really got, got underneath what Japan's about in terms of the people and the destinations. Um, a lot of other programs, I think they sort of focus too much on the weird and quirky Japan and, oh, isn't that strange? Isn't that weird? And don't get me wrong, there is plenty of quirky stuff in Japan, um, but it's only a small part of what Japan has got to offer. Um, and I think quite a lot of TV programs, um, yeah, they, they sort of focus too much on the, I, I know I shouldn't say this, sorry, Sue Perkins, but I, I felt hers and maybe, um, and also um, Paul Hollywood's did Eat Japan. Whilst the, both of the, the series were great and they did showcase Japan, it, I did feel it focused a little bit on the weird, which is just a small minority, small part of Japan um, that, that, that it's got so much more to offer them than just the weird, wacky side. I saw the Paul Hollywood uh, show and um, I saw he spent a, a fair few thousand on a strawberry. And yes. there was these strawberries. <laughs> and he was like, going, how can a strawberry be worth so much? And then he tried it and was like, yeah, okay, it's unbelievable. Um, so definitely try strawberries when you're out there. It may not go for the, the ones that cost a couple of thousand, but um, he was saying how fresh all the produce was. So I think it, I, I, I get what you mean. Because like, again, everything, it was always a little bit of a twi uh, twist around, what, you know, going and see the um, sumo wrestlers and what they eat and a bit quirky around that side of it or going to the spas and the food around that. But the food looked unbelievable. And I really liked the, he went to a seated, um, like a, me a taster menu. So he had sort of like 14 courses. Oh, the kaisaki yeah. meal. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. That's a big bit of uh, staying in Japan is definitely trying a kaisaki meal. He 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 wasn't that um, complimentary of it. He 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 didn't. I, I absolutely love kaisaki. Um, so I was hoping he would love it as much as I do. But um, yeah, it, the food is a big, big thing in Japan. It is one of the big draws. Yeah, you uh, should uh, stick to bread. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But no, amazing. And obviously, we've already touched on some of the amazing things and great bits of what makes Japan such a great place to travel to. But can you just give us a bit more of an overview of why it's such a great destination? Yeah, well, um, yeah. So like I said, there's so many islands. There's so much to be exploring and seeing. Um, and it's quite varied. Um, so you've got islands up in the north, Hokkaido, which have in the winter lots of powder snow. So great for um, skiing and winter sports and winter bird watching. And then that goes all the way down to the islands in the south called the Okinawa Islands, which are subtropical all year round. And they have um, great beaches and great for snorkeling and diving. So you've got, you, it's not many countries that you can, you can go skiing one month and then another month go down to subtropical islands. So it's, there's, there's a lot on offer in terms of, of the destination, um, the, the climate. It's just, it's, 
it's ever changing in Japan, basically. Um, and going back to saying that it was closed off for a long period of time, I think that's that's allowed Japan to not be truly influenced by um, other destinations, uh, other uh, countries, because um, it was closed off for so long. They they basically spent all of that time just practicing and aspiring to be the best version of Japan that they could possibly be. Um, so you've got the culture is really deep and rich and yeah so you've got traditions and um and etiquette from samurai running right through into modern life now and it, it you can it can all be traced back so um yeah it's it's just it's just a very very different destination to anywhere else in the world um and of course you've got things like sumo mount fuji bullet trains um all of these big iconic things that you associate with japan but i actually think it's all the little things they do differently that really make for for an interesting trip um so for example when you take a taxi taxi doors open and close for you automatically um conductors on the bullet train they bow to the carriage um before checking the tickets and walking through and then bow again to the carriage before leaving um yeah and then there's the toilets the toilets are, are quite an experience in japan um sometimes they can just be a basic hole in the floor or they could be the most high-tech toilet you've ever seen and you've got lots of buttons that you press and then you suddenly get jets of streams of water surprising you, heated toilet seats. Um, some public toilets even have a button that you can press um, for music so that uh, you, nobody else can hear what, what you're doing in there, basically. So it'll give you a bit of privacy. Um, and then also toilets, there's toilet slippers, um, which uh, um, bars and restaurants, they, they, they make you change from your shoes or, or slippers into toilets toilet slippers whilst you're using the facilities so that you're not spreading germs inside and out of the toilet back into the restaurant and bars. So um, yeah, so everything, literally everything is done slightly differently in Japan. Um, and yeah, the toilet slippers can be an embarrassing because if you've had a few beers, sometimes you forget to change back into your normal shoes. So you're walking around the restaurant in the toilet slippers, which have like the little toilet sign on them. And uh, yeah, people find that quite amusing if you forget to change back. But um, yeah, Japan does everything differently. And even if they've taken a, something from the Western world, they, they twist it and Japanify it and make it their own. So, um, yeah, it's just, just every minute of every day, there's something different or new to be seen or experiencing. Sounds amazing. I've seen, two, I was, I've seen a few different things about the bullet trains. So I know, obviously, they run like incredibly to time and their average delay for the whole year is something like three seconds. And in the UK, it's something like seven days. Um, but um, what I have seen is that because they're quite over crowded and I've seen the stewards that they had to sort of that part of their job was to push people in and make yes, sure that I've, is that true I've, I've seen those videos on um on YouTube and I've never seen it in Japan I think maybe a, a really busy time in Tokyo that happened and they caught it on video but it's not a common thing to see um, Japanese people are very reserved and orderly and are very aware of everyone's personal space so actually you, you would never see people jostling or pushing each other or anything 
something like that in Japan. Um, even though there's 36 million people that live in Tokyo, which is is an astonishing amount of people, it's still a very orderly, calm place, and everyone sticks keeps themselves to themselves, no pushing or shoving or anything like that. So I think I think that was a one-off. I, I've not seen it myself. Thanks for myth busting that one, there, Matt. <laughs> Now, there's it's an incredible country as well and unique in that um, the seasons and there's there's they really do have different seasons. And of course, that as well can change what you're going to see in certain destinations in, in parts of Japan. Um, but what would you when would you say is the best time to travel? If you're like Matthew, maybe you've had to put it off this year and you've got to rebook. What what sort of time period are you going to go for? Yeah. So um, it, it is an all year destination. So I, I wouldn't say there was um, a time that you shouldn't uh, go to Japan. But obviously, each of the seasons have have their benefits and, and draw, drawbacks. Um, so their seasons are, they've got four seasons like we've got, um, but they are very extreme. So it, it, it's, it's to the more extreme. So winter, uh, January and February is really cold, but it's a nice, crisp, clear cold rather than a damp cold we get here in the UK. Um, so yeah, you've got usually January and February, you've got clear blue skies. Um, so it's really, so as long as you don't mind wrapping up warm um, during, during, when you're out sightseeing. It's a great time to go. It's quietest time to go. So not many people travel at that time of year. It's great for photos because of the clear blue skies. It's good to um, catch a glimpse of Mount Fuji because uh, usually in the other months, it's usually covered by clouds. So winter's a good time for that. And one of my favorite things for winter is sitting in a hot spring bath with the snow coming down around you. That is a really unique experience. So winter's good, but but usually for, for, for us Brits, if we're going to travel in January, February, we usually want to go somewhere hotter than where, where we actually live. So not many people do go um, at that time of year. But then spring is the most popular time to go. Um, uh, it's popular for domestic tourism in Japan, as well as international foreign tourists um, arriving. And that's mainly for the cherry blossoms. Um, it is a beautiful time of year to be there. Literally all the rivers, all of the shrines, all of the temples, Temples will be just lined with cherry blossom trees and these beautiful blossoms. Um, and yeah, everyone has, a, a, they're called hanami, which are a blossom viewing parties. So you sit down, have blankets and have picnics and drink sake and beer underneath the cherry blossoms. And it's just a fun time to be in Japan. Um, but because it is so beautiful, it is a busy time to be in Japan and it is the most expensive time to be in Japan. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's busy for a reason because it is just really, really beautiful. So I'd say on the main island, end of March, first couple of weeks of April is the best time to see the cherry blossoms. But literally any time March, April, May, it's a comfortable temperature, um, green uh, flowers, lush landscapes. So it's, 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 spring's a really good time to be in Japan. Summer then June through to September um, I'm not going to lie, it is very hot and humid. Um, that's something that really shocked me. I, I moved to Japan in August and I got off the plane. And I was just like, whoa, I was not expecting this humidity. Um, so if you are flexible with your dates, I would say maybe avoid summer just because it is really, really hot. Um, but everywhere's air conditioned. And actually, there, there are positives to the summer. Um, every town or village or city will have its own 
summer festival with um, fireworks and stance parades, lantern parades. Everyone will be wearing summer kimono and street food stalls and things like that. So it is a fun, vibrant time to be in Japan. Um, and July and August is the only time that you can climb Mount Fuji. So it's it, it's it's yeah, it's got it's got drawbacks in terms of the weather, but there are certain things you can only see and do during the summer. Um, and then autumn is my favorite time to be in Japan. Um, they're autumn slightly later than ours. So I'd say end of October, right the way through November is the best time to catch the autumn leaves. Um, I'd say it's just as beautiful as the cherry blossoms, um, the reds, the yellows, the oranges. Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's really beautiful. Um, yeah. So again, fairly busy. Um, not as busy as the cherry blossoms because it's over a longer period of time, but autumn is my recommendation. Amazing. And uh, you mentioned that you can climb Mount Fuji, but only in July and August. Uh, is that, oh, it's, it's obviously going to be a challenge, but it's something that I would be very tempted to do. Is is it you just rock up and walk up or do you have to book on a tour? No, it, 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 it is fairly, it's fairly simple to do. Um, it's not a difficult hike. It's, it's quite long um but um technically it's not difficult um so you can just rock up you need to decide if you're going to do it um overnight and um um or if you want to do it during the day um i would recommend doing it overnight um you can sort of start in the evening um and because it's only july and august there's so many people on the mountain climbing at that time of year you can literally just follow the crowd going up you can see it going up the mountain so it's it's very difficult to get lost or or not know where you're going because there will be so many other people doing it and they've got mountain huts that you can stop and have a break and maybe get a couple of hours sleep um Matt, uh, why is it only july and august is that uh, to protect the mountain it's it's mainly because it's got snow on it the rest of the year um i they, they, and that's the only time that the mountain huts and the mountain rescue are in operation. So you, it, it, it hasn't got snow the entire rest of the year, but um, it's the safest time to do it. And technically, you shouldn't do it when the mountain rescue aren't working. So, um, yeah. But it's uh, watching the sunrise is one of my favorite memories from the top of Mount Fuji. It, it was a really special experience. So, yeah, no, I, I'd highly recommend it to anyone if they are going in July and August. I was going to say, because that would be the good thing about going up at night is not only that uh, seeing the sun sunrise, but also being under the stars because I feel it's really clear. Uh, be amazing walking up the mountain with all with all the stars out around you and um again it's something winter is one of my favorite times of year and i really want to go into the, the hot springs and also go and see the snow monkeys because i know that's a big thing that a lot of people may know about the uh, japan is the cherry blossoms which obviously in the spring and then the snow monkeys so they're on the main island the snow monkeys um in a in a town called Udenaka. um so it's 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 quite easily accessible on a on a stand first time trip to Japan um, only a few hours from Tokyo um, and yeah the, the, the monkeys are there most of the year um, the snow isn't though so I'd say um, December January February maybe into the middle of March there will still be snow around so you will get those beautiful photos of them bathing in the hot springs in the snow um, you can still see them other times of year but obviously that the, the once the snow is melted away it's, it's not quite as uh, photogenic 
shall we say, and they do have to tempt the monkeys down to the hot springs with food because they're not doing it naturally because they're not cold at that time of year. So um, yeah, I'd say January through to the middle of March is probably the best time to see the snow monkeys. You mentioned the beautiful autumn leaves in um, October and no- November, which will give it a completely different sense. So if people are looking to go and get that nature and those photos and budget wise, they could look at going in autumn and still have an amazing experience, although it may not be the cherry blossoms, but it'll be more affordable. Is that correct? Yeah. Autumn's not still not the most affordable time to go, um, but it is more affordable than the cherry blossoms. And yeah, it does offer something that, that it, it's, it's just a beautiful season to be traveling around. Um, and you see a completely different side to Japan in the different seasons. So that's great. So if you, most people think of Japan as a once in a lifetime destination, but once they've been once, they're sort of hooked. And then they're like, actually, maybe I should come back again. So it does have the beauty of like being able to go back at different times of year and see completely different things. So um, yeah, no, it, the, the seasons definitely bring bring uh, different faces to Japan. And also, as you mentioned, there's so many islands and something that I didn't realize until recently in watching some of the TV um, series on Japan is the fact that the southern islands are very tropical. It's like going, you know, to almost like the Maldives or the Caribbean. So there's so much more to do than just the main traditional islands, which everyone would associate with Japan. So I completely get why once you're there, you get hooked in Japan and you just constantly want to go back uh, wherever, wherever you're based in, in the world. So where are you going to stay? What would you say for accommodation? We've got, um, I've seen a little video of um, these two that I follow, um, some travellers that go on there and they do little YouTube videos um, and they stayed in one of these capsule hotels and this seemed like a very interesting concept for me um, that the, the men and the women were separated it was kind of like dormitories yeah I guess that's that's for the budget conscious travellers and I guess you've got some other types of accommodation yeah, too. There's, there's, there's so much on offer in terms of accommodation in Japan the camp, capsule hotels is one and uh, I would uh Definitely maybe do it for one night for the experience, but one night is definitely enough. Um, They were basically designed for um, businessmen in Tokyo um, and the other large cities. So that um, going out and socializing with your colleagues, having an official work party is is quite quite a thing in Japan. Um, So those capsule hotels were designed for the the Tokyo businessmen who maybe, maybe had one too few many beers and missed the last train home. Um, and they might live an hour or two outside of the city. So, yeah, the capsule hotels is just a cheap, affordable way to actually rest your head for the night, um, get up the next morning, go to the local convenience store, buy a new tie, some new socks, and then go to work. And nobody knows that you've not been home, basically. So, um, um, but yeah, I've I've done it a couple of times, and there's, there's certainly some really cool, futuristic-looking ones, which are great. And then there's also some data ones which haven't been updated since they were built in the 70s and 80s basically which maybe aren't the best ones to stay at but no capsule hotels are a great experience but not for everyone um but no you've you've also got great western style hotels like you would anywhere else in the world um and we'd recommend staying in a western style hotel in the big cities just because you're going to be out exploring all day you um but then when you're maybe in the more rural areas i definitely recommend staying in a traditional inn um called a Ryokan. Um, and yeah, Ryokan, uh, you've got to do it at least once, maybe twice on, on, on any trip to Japan. Um, and they're really traditional 
uh, well, you, you've got modern ones as well, but um, staying in a traditional building with paper sliding doors, uh, tatami mat, bamboo mat floors. Um, and yeah, it's just a real special experience staying in a ryokan. Um, and yeah, it, there's a word in Japan called omotenashi, which is, um, it's basically their word for hospitality. And omotenashi is a huge thing in Japan. So staying in a traditional inn is all about experiencing the hospitality the owners have um, and just relaxing and enjoying the food they prepare. So we were talking earlier about the kaiseki meals that Paul Hollywood tried the big multi-course meal. You will enjoy one of these in a traditional inn. You have it included in your stay, um, sitting there in your uh, yukata, which is like a thin cotton kimono, eating this meal prepared for you. Um, and then maybe going to the hot spring baths and then you come back to your room afterwards and and then your futons are laid out on the floor for you. So it's it's a real special experience. So uh, ryokans are great. And then you've got variations of the Ryokan. Um, so you've got Minshuku, which is like a smaller family-run bed and breakfast. It's a bit more basic, um, a bit more rustic. Um, and then you've got Shukubo, which are um, temple lodgings. So it's basically a, a Ryokan traditional inn attached to a temple and you can get up in the morning and, and join the monks for prayers. So there's lots of accommodation in Japan and all very different and all amazing. So yeah, it, it, that's part of the fun of traveling to Japan as well as the accommodation. Those uh, ryokans is something that I definitely want to experience. Uh, I, I love, I've actually got a couple of kimonos, uh, family friends uh, from Japan, um, and they sent it over as, as a gift. So that I'll be right at home uh, out, out there in those little traditional inns. Loving, loving life. And you mentioned the hot springs bath a couple of times. Uh, and it's something that I love to be out, like you mentioned earlier, when it's cold and you're in the, the hot springs and you've got the snow coming down around you. But also any time of year, you can obviously enjoy these. And it, and it seems to be such a big thing across Japan. Can you tell us a bit more about them? And um, I know some of them have different, I like was talking about traditions in Japan and uh, some of them have quite unique traditions, I believe. Yeah, so the hot springs, Japan is a very volcanic country and there are hot springs literally all over the country. Um, and each each town or village will have their, their public hot springs. And it's just a way of life, maybe once a week, going to your hot spring baths um, and just sort of just relaxing and just, um, yeah, just soaking in the natural minerals and things like that. So it's a big part of Japanese life. Um, but it's uh, some some tourists might find it a little bit daunting um, because you do usually have to go in naked um, in your birthday suit. Um, so uh, yeah, if you're a bit shy, it might not be for you. Um, but it's just a way of life over there, and they don't think anything of it. They just get on with their business. They just get in the bath. There, nobody's staring or looking at each other. It's just it's just part of their life over there. So um, men and women are usually separate. I must point that out. So men and women usually have separate baths um, and different entrances to go in and things like that. But you do have to be naked. Um, and there is a whole etiquette to it as well. So when you get in, there, there will be little stools and taps and bowls that you wash yourself. So you clean yourself before you get in the bath. Um, and then when you're actually in the bath yourself, you've got a tiny little... Um, tiny little towel that it's like a modesty towel but it's it, it is really really small so um and you're not allowed to dip that in the water so you can have it on your head you can put it to the side but 
because you've just used it to wash yourself, you're not meant to dip it in the hot springs because then you're spreading the dirt and germs amongst everyone else. But no, the hot springs are amazing. Um, and I definitely recommend anyone going to do it. Um, my mum came to visit me in Japan and she did a total of four weeks over two trips. And I kept nagging her saying, you need to do it, you need to do it. And she finally gave in on the last couple of days. And she was kicking herself because I chose one overlooking a beach, overlooking the sea, outdoors. Um, and she absolutely loved it. And she was like, why had I not done it sooner in my trip? I could have done this over and over again and, and really enjoyed it because it was great. So um, yeah, I definitely recommend it for people to do. But if you are a bit shy, there are ways of getting around being naked in front of other people. Um, so at the traditional inns, the rear can, um, some of them will have baths that you can hire for private use. So you just block it out for an hour and you and your family can use it. Or there will be at some of the nicer traditional inns, you will have your own balcony and on your balcony or in your own little garden attached to your room, you'll have your own private hot spring bath. So um, that's that. So if you are a bit shy, there, there are ways of getting around being naked in front of other people. As the listeners of the Travel Podcast will know, Jules always talks about her experiences going to um, coming across naked beaches or anything. So she'll be straight, <laughs> straight in there, no issues. But it sound, but again, I think even if you're not shy, I'd do it. I'd be happy to do it. Again, it's that, like you said, it's the tradition. It's, it's what you go in. That's what you're there for, that experience and immersing yourself within the experience. But I still think that maybe a nice little treat is you have a room a traditional inn with your garden you've got your own personal hot springs what an amazing experience that yeah. is no that is special yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, no. one thing about the hot springs though they're, they're, again tattoos uh, that's a big issue for foreign travelers in the hot spring baths is that um in japan tattoos are the sign of the yakuza which is the japanese mafia um and so if you've got a tattoo you, you, a japanese person with a tattoo would be assumed to be part of the yakuza um but obviously tattoos in 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 our culture are just very normal and very common um but you're not meant to go into the hot springs with tattoos um so that can cause some issues um certainly for the rugby world cup last year especially a lot of rugby players and certainly rugby players um from the Pacific Islands, um, where it's part, very much part of their culture, they did have to start making some exceptions to the no tattoo rule and did sort of relax the rules a little bit last year. Um, but no, yeah, there's there's so so many rules and etiquettes and things to know about when traveling in Japan. So that sounds amazing. I think just get involved, like you know me, get naked, go for it. Maybe not with your mum, though. I think that might be a bit weird. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, no. (laughs) (laughs) And on her own. (laughs) So, yeah, and this brings up a good point, really, because um, I think like a couple of years ago, it was really perceived Japan as being like a super adventurous place to go. And you had to, you know, you know, think about the culture. Like you said, you don't want to be getting it wrong when you get there. You don't want to put yourself in an awkward position. and, And I feel like we're much more educated now when there's obviously loads more resources that we can use so that we can be good tourists when we get there. But what do you think, um, is, what type of traveller would you recommend Japan for? Or do you think there is something for everyone? Well, yeah, like like you were saying, um, it's really become more mainstream over the past few years. Uh, certainly when I started my job 11 years ago, 
Japan seems like this very far away place and really alien culture and or、um, it, not really for anyone that's a nervous traveller. But actually, it's Japan is such a welcoming place,、um, and that it is great for anybody really.、Um, we, we, we touched upon the etiquette and knowing what you should and shouldn't do.、Um, actually, Japanese people know that their culture and etiquette are very complicated, so they don't expect foreigners to completely understand. It so if if you do make a mistake or do something wrong, they they will usually laugh and just explain no, you can't do that and just don't do it again. So it's it, I wouldn't be worried about offending anyone or or doing anything wrong.、Um, it, it, they, they're quite welcoming and friendly people, so they, 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 you you won't get into trouble as long as you don't do it again once you know.、Um, but yeah,、um, but it, it's accessible for everyone really.、Um, it's people. Younger travellers, older travellers, solo travellers,、um, families—it's、um, it's just for everyone, really. It's a very safe destination. It's got one of the lowest crime rates in the world.、Um, all of the public transport works like clockwork. We were saying earlier,、um, it runs smoothly.、Um, all the public transport is very comfortable.、Um, so yeah, it's it's a very nice destination to actually travel around and 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 experience. Because you've got this really different alien culture, which is just mind blowing. But at the same time, you've got all of these comfortable modern luxuries as well. So you don't you feel like you're on an adventure, but you're not really slumming it or, or, or really having to go down off the beaten track and 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 go exploring because it, it is accessible to everyone.、Um, so yeah, I'd I'd say it's for anyone. Great for families because there's cute cartoons everywhere. Basically, solo travel. Travelers as well.、Um, a lot of bars and restaurants are set up for people to go in and eat by themselves. So you'll eat at the counter, and the staff will speak to you. So I think over here there's sort of a stigma around going out and eating and drinking by yourself. But in Japan, it's very normal. If people are on business trips, that they, they'll be going out and eating and drinking by themselves. So it's it's set up, and there's even some karaoke booths that are set up for people just to sing by themselves rather than having a big room.、Um, Um, so no, I'd say it's for for anyone basically. It's obviously a super clean place as well, which is obviously a great draw at the minute. So their hygiene and very much their, like you said, all their sort of protocols before eating and before doing certain activities. They're very clean people. Yeah. It's 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 astonishing how clean it actually is over there. It is absolutely spotless,、um, and also yeah, they they they're very conscious of、um, of of. Germs and spreading germs.、Um, so they they actually we're, we're all getting used to wearing masks at the moment. But actually, the Japanese have been wearing masks even if they had a a common cold or the common flu,、um, just because they wouldn't want to pass it on to anyone else. So they were already. Very considerate and conscious before all of this happens.、Oh, amazing, and, and like you said, it's so diverse and really is for those who are traveling on your own. It's, it's not an issue because it's just a common practice. Like you, you met people do have that. Oh, actually, I want to go, but no one else wants to go with me. Uh, what, what, and I think that's one of the barriers for solo travel is、mm. people thinking, "Oh, people think I'm weird. I'm just sat here on my own." It's amazing to, to hear that in such a, a different destination,、uh, it's just common common practice. And、um, one of the biggest draws, as you mentioned, is the food and the Japanese cuisine, and it's it's become really really popular in the UK in recent years, and it's something that I、uh, absolutely love. 
Um, I was very fortunate when I was living out in the States in California. They have amazing Japanese cuisine um, and also out in Hawaii. They've their fusion out there. So I've, I'm deep in the Japanese cuisine. Absolutely love it. Um, I'm very excited that we actually have some uh, Japanese restaurants near us now in, in the UK, uh, in Bournemouth. So what is, what is the experience? So we mentioned it a couple of times of there's lots of different types of experiences, whether you're in a traditional inn, you get a traditional meal there. What can people expect? Well, the food, we, we are starting to get it more and more here in the UK now, but it's only the tip of the iceberg, really. Japan has such an expansive range of food. Um, and when I go back, I really have to plan my trips carefully to make sure I get all my favorite kinds of foods fitted in into the trip. Um, so, but you can you can get really good quality food on the street. So you've got things like Yeshai, which are um, mobile food stands that um, serve things like uh, ramen, pork noodle broth um, at the end of a night instead of a um, to grab something before you head home, um, and that that will cost four or five pounds, five dollars. It's and it's an amazing meal and, and an amazing experience just sitting in this food stall with other people around you. And then you go all the way up to the Kaiseki meals that we were discussing earlier, the big elaborate multi-course meals. And Japan's got more Michelin star restaurants than any other destination in the world. So you can really go to some really high-end, fancy, expensive places to eat and have the most amazing meals. Um, so it's it's really varied. You've got really cheap street food, which is really good quality, all the way up to the expensive Michelin starred and uh, fine dining. Um, and there's everything in between as well. So um, you've got izakaya, which are like Japanese pubs that serve Japanese tapas. So lots of little small dishes that you share amongst yourselves. Um, and they're usually lively, fun places, lots of beer to be drunk. Um, and then you've got yakitori, which are like um, chicken and beef skewers. Um, you've got Japanese curry, um, which I love. Um, you've got yakiniku, which is uh, indoor barbecue, which they've taken from uh, Korean cuisine. So you can literally go for a two-week trip and eat a different kind of food for every meal and still have not seen all the food that Japan has to offer. So it's not just fish and sushi. There is so much more, um, yeah, more to, to be experienced. So yeah, I'd just say dive in, try lots of places, restaurants. They're um, the back streets of Tokyo. It's quite daunting to walk down and know exactly what that restaurant is serving. It might be behind a closed door. It might be behind a curtain. Um, but yeah, you've just got to bite the bullet and just just open the door and see what's behind it because it's usually those back street places, the smaller, tiny places that have the best experience and the best food. Um, so it definitely pays having someone know what they're doing on maybe the first or second night in Tokyo just to give you that confidence to go and experience all the little restaurants and bars. I, I don't know if this is true. I think Japan has more restaurants per person than any other country in the world, but you might have to fact check that. <laughs> Jules, get on it. Fact check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, again, that's like you said, it's uh, great to maybe when you first arrive, get a guide to do a food tour and then give you some recommendations. Because then, even if you're then traveling further afield throughout Japan, it, you can. Uh, you know, pick up and, and ask them to write down maybe certain symbols or signs that yeah. you can then, when you're walking around in other uh, other parts of Japan, you can look at and go, okay, well, I know this is what this is, so I'll go in here. 
because I know yeah. I've had that before. Um, so I think that is a, is a great, great tip. But... Is there anything you should definitely avoid? Is there anything that maybe us as Westerners just stomachs cannot handle? I mean, there, there, there is plenty you might not like, but there is plenty you will like as well. My sister came when she was 13 and she was one of the fussiest eaters back then. And she they, she managed to survive. She she loved the savoury pancakes they cook. Their, their fried chicken is really good. Their karage. So there, 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 there is plenty there for for people who are, aren't that adventurous with their, their food, but there is also plenty that is a bit unusual and not quite to the Western taste. Um, there's a thing called natto, which is, it's, it always splits people. It's a bit like Marmite. You either love it or you hate it. And it's fermented soybeans. And I hate it. It is the smell of it, the texture of it. It's sticky though. No. So natto, I would say avoid, but there are loads of people who do actually love it. So, um, but no, there, there is plenty of, like you've got your fugu, which is the poison puffer fish. Um, so yeah, people might, in movies and TV, it's sort of been made up to be this big, scary thing thing but actually it's just a really common food in Japan and everyone just eats it and nobody really makes a big deal about it so I think we're the ones making the big deal about it um, but no the, the good thing about Japan is you have got all of these unusual strange foods but then there's also really good standard accessible food as well chain restaurants in Japan are brilliant um, and they've got great quality great great value food all over the country and you've got all of these chain restaurants which I'd have no problem recommending to anyone and yeah I went to a chain restaurant um, with some people I took to Japan a few years and they served Japanese curry um, and from the outside the restaurant didn't look that interesting and the people sat down and they saw the menus which were laminated plastic with pictures of all the different curries and I think over here if we had pictures on our menus we'd be a bit oh that's a bit weird that's a bit strange oh I'm not sure I want to eat in this is it a good quality restaurant if they've got pictures but actually it's really helpful because you know what you can order and actually the food is genuinely really good quality so everyone I was with even though they were turning their nose up at this restaurant I took them to for one of their first meals in Japan by the end of the meal they were like that is one of the best meals I've ever had and it was just a chain restaurant um so yeah it's there's plenty to put you off and be concerned about but there is still plenty you won't go hungry if 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 you're not a fan of the weird stuff but um another interesting thing about restaurants in japan is that quite a lot of um small family run restaurants they'll have models of the food, plastic models of the dishes that they serve in that restaurant in the window. Um, and that's really normal in Japan. And it just over here, if there was a restaurant with a window and a plastic plate of curry, we'd be like, what is that place? Why? No, I don't want to eat in there. That's, 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 that's strange. But actually, all over Japan, you will see it. And there's actually a, a street in Tokyo um, that sells all of these plastic foods that all the restaurants go and, and buy from. So yeah. Quite a lot of people go and buy one of them for a, as a souvenir to bring back. I've did a bit of fact checking, and it's for every one restaurant for two hundred and sixty six people in Japan. So it has the highest density of restaurants. Yeah, I, when when I lived there, I literally ate out most evenings because it was it's good value, it's good quality, um, and actually going to a supermarket and buying well, you saw the Paul Hollywood strawberries for two hundred two hundred pounds two hundred dollars or even more 
um, I found it much easier and cheaper to actually eat out every night when I was living in Japan than actually cook myself. So, well, like you've been saying, it sounds like it's more part of a part of the culture. So it's something that everyone does. Locals, travelers, everyone. It's a lot of people eat out, and that's their mainstay. And then occasionally they'll cook at home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, certainly, I think families will cook at home a lot. But um, yeah, everyone else. Yeah, it's, it's 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 part of their culture. Going out and enjoying, and each town and each city and each restaurant will have its own speciality um, and be known for a certain thing. So yeah, it, 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 part of the fun of Japan is going around and trying all of these different specialities and, and the local produce and yeah. So for someone that was looking to visit Japan for the first time, uh, where would you recommend that they sort of focus their time? Say they've only got maybe a week, 10 days. What kind of itinerary would you recommend? Okay, so I think for a first time trip to Japan, most people will stick to the main island of Honshu. Um, so that's where all of your big um, big sightseeing spots are, basically. Um, so you've got Tokyo, which I think is definitely a must for anyone going to, to Japan. Um, and then Kyoto as well is a very popular place. Um, so the, Kyoto used to be an ancient capital of Japan. Um, it's now it's quite a, a big modern city but it's got pockets of culture throughout um throughout the city it's got more unesco world heritage sites than anywhere else in the world um and you can literally spend weeks there and not see everything so loads of shrines loads of temples obviously where the geisha are from in kyoto um so i'd say tokyo and kyoto are definitely a must um for any trip um and then also hiroshima um obviously from the war history and that's where the uh, first atomic bomb was dropped and it is awful what happened there but I think it's definitely worth going to see what happened and and learn about it um it's a very positive city it's a vibrant city um and they've done a really good job on the peace park and the museum there um and it's got that they want to educate the world about what happened so that it never happens to anyone else again and I think that's a really positive outlook um on, on for the city to have um so yeah i definitely rec- it's it's difficult it is upsetting um learning about what happened but i think it's it's, it's definitely worth doing for anyone visiting japan um and quite often a lot of school trips um japanese school kids will go to the peace park as their school trip and they will practice their english with the foreign tourists that are there so it's got a very positive welcoming atmosphere um and just off the coast of hiroshima is a really beautiful beautiful island called Miyajima. So you can always stay there for a couple of nights in a traditional inn uh, on this tiny, beautiful island with tame deer just wandering around and shrines and temples. And you could pop over to Hiroshima as a day trip from there. So I'd say they're the main places people will want to go um, on a first time trip to Japan. So that would probably take up eight or nine nights. Um, I'd really recommend two weeks for a first first trip to Japan. And you can really, yeah, once you've got those three places as your main base for a trip, you can add on lots of different destinations. So you've obviously got Mount Fuji, so maybe staying in a traditional inn in the national parks around Mount Fuji. Um, then you've got the Japanese Alps, which have got lots of beautiful traditional towns like Takayama, which is famous for sake breweries. So you can do a little sake brewery tour around this town. Matsumoto Castle um, is famous, a big original black castle. Um, and Yudanaka uh, for the snow monkeys is up in the Alps as well. Um, and then also Osaka, um, the second biggest city in Japan. It's known 
known as uh, Japan's kitchen. So it's known for food, basically. We're back to the food again um, and lots of street food that you can get. And it's a vibrant, fun place. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so much to see and do. But I would say those sort of destinations make for a good first time trip to Japan. Definitely Osaka. We love our food on the travel podcast. So that'll be somewhere we would all be heading for. Um, and again, like I said, there's so much to do. It, it may be first time trip, you go for sure, but you want to go back. Uh, everyone that I've spoken with, the majority of people that I've spoken to has ever been to Japan, they want to go back. So apart from the places that you've, you've mentioned, where have you visited that you've really loved? Okay. Um, so yeah, away from the main sites I've just said there, I really loved an uh, island called Naoshima. Um, so it's, it's, it's about a 40 minute ferry ride from the main island. So it is quite accessible. It's, it's quite easy to get to. Um, and it used to be a fishing island and fishing was their main industry. But as the younger people were moving away from the traditional industries and maybe moving to the mainland and living in big cities, they saw the island and the population and, and the fishing on the island just really declined. So they were like, we need to sort of somehow regenerate this island, give it something new. So they turned it into an art island. So it's all over this little island, you've got sculptures and installations. Um, I, I don't know if anybody's familiar with Yoyoi Kusama, who is a famous Japanese artist, and she makes these really vibrant, fun pumpkin statues. Um, and so her work are on the island, and they've got, um, yeah, it's just a beautiful location with all of this art. And they've got um, a few actual museums as well with works by Monet and other famous artists. So Naoshima is one of my favorite places in Japan. It just offers something very different to the rest of the country. Um, and Japan loves souvenirs. There's souvenir shops all over the country, but Naoshima doesn't have any souvenir shops. So it, 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 it's got a very different feel to the rest of Japan. Um, so yeah, I love Naoshima. Um, another place that I would really recommend, I said Yakushima earlier with, with the big ancient forest, but um, I really loved Kurokawa Onsen, um, which is a hot springs resort, um, back to the hot springs again. And these resorts will have lots of traditional inns um, with their own hot springs, or it might just be a standalone hot spring on its own. And you can buy a pass and you can use all, you basically do hot spring hopping um, all afternoon. Um, and just go to all the different hot springs there. And some will have milky water, some will have clear water, some will have murky water, and all the different waters will have different uh, different benefits, uh, um, minerals and things like that. So definitely going to a, a onsen town it would be a highlight for me as well. That sounds like a much more sophisticated pub crawl. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And <laughs> um, so you've talked about some incredible experiences that you've had there and, and that are on offer, but are there any that really stand out to you? I know you said about the sunset, uh, watching that at the top of uh, Mount Fuji, but was, was there anything else? Yeah, um, th- like there are so many experiences, I, I can't name them all. And yeah, but certainly meeting a geisha was a highlight for me. Um, learning about their basically their world and ha- what what geisha do, how they train, um, 
they, they, they live a very um, regimented life, learning the arts and singing and dancing and um, making sure that they're the best um, performers that can possibly be. Um, so actually meeting them was a really, really great experience and actually asking all the questions that you want to ask. And they were actually very open and down to earth. Um, and yeah, it was it was great. And usually because they you basically, a geisha is hired to entertain a party. Um, so they play drinking games. So um, playing drinking games with a geisha is fun, but it's also very dangerous because they are so good at the games they never lose so they never have to drink it's always you drinking so um yeah uh, so meeting the geisha was great um another experience that i absolutely loved was um driving around the streets of tokyo in a go-kart dressed as a, a computer game character but sadly um they got into trouble by the computer game owners and um that's no longer taking place but that was a really fun experience um and then there's just great um, festivals in Japan. So getting involved in a festival is really, really cool. Um, one that stands out to me was the Okayama Naked Man Festival, which I took part in twice. And you're not completely naked. You are in a loincloth, basically. Um, and it's done in, I think it's February. So it's in the middle of winter. It's absolutely freezing, um, dressed in a loincloth. Um, and you run around the streets of Okayama, which is a town on the main island, and people throw water at you to purify you. Um, it's freezing and then you run through a pool of water to purify yourself before going into the, the temple complex um, and then you go into the temple and there's about there's thousands of men in just these little loincloths um, and they drop a, a stick from the temple and all the lights go out in the temple and you basically have to fight to get the stick. If you get the stick, you fight it off everyone else and take it outside the temple grounds and it brings good luck. It was traditionally meant to bring good harvest for the year if you got the stick out. Um, but now it's more of a commercial thing and big Japanese corporations will pay anyone a large amount of money to get that stick um, to bring good luck for the year. But I did it twice. I never saw the stick. It was just... it was. You were just rampacked and just bodies everywhere. And what a, yeah, it, it, it was an experience. I don't know why I did it twice, but um, yeah, so there's great festivals. Um, um, maybe one's a little less violent and, and dangerous than that one I would recommend. <laughs> one, Jules, I'm sure you'd like to be throwing water at the people or dropping the stick. I think I'd be seeing a lot of something that rhymes with stick. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, so on that uh, obviously we've talked a lot about visiting japan and what top tips uh, do you have for anyone visiting um yeah um basically it's 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 a great destination you shouldn't be worried about traveling there but um i think one of my tips would be try and learn a few words of japanese before you go um because it really goes a long way if you start using um words here and there just and and the Japanese people just absolutely love it. So one word which goes down a tree is oishi, which means delicious. So any food you're eating, oishi, yes, oishi, oishi, oishi. So literally any food you're eating, if you say that, that they'll be very appreciative of you learning that word. So try and learn a few words before you go. 
Um, we've already talked about the getting naked in the hot springs, just do it, and bars and restaurants behind closed doors and curtains, just open them and dive in. Um, but other tips, um, Japan has a really excellent luggage forwarding system. Um, so you don't need to carry your big cases or backpacks or whatever you're traveling with around. Um, they've got a great service that everyone uses. It takes 24 hours. So you just go to your hotel lobby, front desk staff, and say, I want to forward this luggage from this hotel to that hotel. Um, and it will take 24 hours and it will be there. And it costs 10, 15 pounds, um, not, not, not that expensive. So if you're, say, in Tokyo and you're going to go to Mount Fuji for a couple nights in, in, in the countryside um, and taking all your luggage there might be a hassle on the public transport. But you're going to Kyoto after that, forward your luggage from Tokyo down to Kyoto and then just take a small bag with you to the rural countryside. And it's just, just a very nice way to travel with not having to lug big cases around they're great tips but i wanted to know i wanted to know how to say um thank you in japanese well there's various different ways you can say it um but uh the, the most common way is arigato 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 and you can say different levels of politeness so you can say if you add gizaimasu on the end it adds an extra level of politeness so it's arigato gizaimasu so like very yes yeah yeah so very. um ar- arigato is is a good one to know um and another word is sumimasen um that's a useful word in japan it can be used for many different things it can be used um to get uh someone's attention in a bar in a restaurant the the waiting staff so you can say sumimasen and they'll come and serve you you can say sumimasen as an apology or if you bump into someone it's an excuse me or if you're trying to get through a crowd it's a useful but you can also use sumimasen as a thank you as well so sumimasen is an all-rounder that's a good one to use if in doubt sumimasen sumimasen yes (laughs) perfect And um, it's been an absolute pleasure learning all about Japan and some of your own experiences and what you've seen and what you've done. So again, thank you very much, Matt, for joining us. And thank you, Jules. Thank you. Thank you. And for everyone that's enjoyed listening to this episode, please make sure you go to thetravelpodcast.com and find the episode page where there'll be links to what we've discussed in this episode. And also be sure to give us a five-star rating on your travel podcast platform of choice and share this with your friends and family. Thanks for listening.